Hi, welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present on history.org. This is Behind the Scenes. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Harmony Hunter, filling in this week for Lloyd Dobbins. And we have two guests with us today. Curator of Plants, Larry Griffith. Welcome, Larry. Thank you. And Colonial Williamsburg photographer, Barbara Lombardi. And they're here today to talk about a book, a new book, Flowers and Herbs of Early America, um, which I'm holding with me here. How would you describe this book? I almost want to call it an encyclopedia with just brilliant photography. It's not quite encyclopedic because we've only featured 56 plants of early America. And we chose those plants because they photographed well. They're all relevant to early America, but the plants were chosen because they photographed well. They made a beautiful book. I um, discovered the garden, and I couldn't help but, but start shooting it and um, bringing the, the um, photos in and blowing them up, and then um, had the idea that it would make a good book. So, Where did it begin? What, what gave you the idea? How did it start? The Mars Foundation which are the um, family who produces Mars Candy, gave me a grant in 2001 to pursue research into early American plants. And that involved a trial garden in the historic area and research into primary and, and secondary sources. The idea was to identify new plants and authenticate old plants, and also to establish a planting method, which is direct seeding of the seed in the soil rather than a greenhouse, which I succeeded in doing. All the plants in the book were raised from seed in the ground, um, in situ. So let's talk about that, your method. Tell me about the way that you approached growing these plants and how it might be different from the way that um, a gardener today might, might grow a garden. I put a lot of work into my soil. I spayed the soil 12 inches deep first. And then I break up those clods either manually or with a Manus two-cycle tiller. Just a lot of times, most of the times, I'll do it manually and add 50 to 75% new compost. So I'm adding a lot of organic matter and then a lot of chicken manure and raising my beds up six inches tall. And the, it's so, the tilth, which is the, the, the density of the soil is so light that it becomes like flour. So I get great germination because of that. And that's a little different from the way modern people garden. They go to the garden centers and buy cell packs and usually put them in moderately good or poor soil. And um, the drawback is that this method involves a lot of daily watering, thinning, weeding. But the upside is that you can spend $200 on seed and get thousands of dollars in plants if you were to buy them in, as perennials. So Barbara, when you when you came into the garden, I first came in in two thousand two because I didn't. I I think I just came to work here in ninety nine. So I just started shooting was out shooting stock, and then I noticed um, I just like gardens. So, but I did happen upon Larry's, and I thought, well, um, I went into it, and um, a lot of the flowers on the type on the the earlier varieties of flowers and uh, herbs that he was had in the garden were. Um, the flowers are very tiny, and so you have to really get down in there and see the complexity of it. And once I, I try, I once I started shooting it, then I got a macro lens and got in there and even closer, and it's like falling down the rabbit hole. You know, it's just it, it's just a, a whole different world, and uh, you come up 
dizzy and <laughs> wondering, you know, it's just, it's just such a good experience and I, I love the detail in all the flowers. I so. love the way that you capture sort of the underside of a leaf uh -huh. or, or the stages of a four o'clock as it, as it opens. Did you find um, certain plants were more cooperative and others you had to sort of struggle to find that, that interest? I, I like green too. I mean, the, 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 the foliage is a, a, a big part of it and some of it was, was very tiny, and, and you go out really, really, really early in the morning, and you wait for that sweet sun to come up, the best part. And it's usually still, and you usually have the natural dew, or if it's rained the night before, you have a, you have a nice glisten on them. Larry planted the garden so that it was easy for me to get around in it. There's nice wide paths, and they're grass, they're not going to be mud. And um, so it was a nice, it was really a nice garden to shoot in. And then as we went along in the years, um, we were even more mindful <laughs> and we'd put certain plants that didn't catch the sun quite right. We put them in a better spot maybe the following year. So it was a, it was a process. I think in, in terms of the way the flowers were photographed, I use the word in the book, the architecture of the flowers. That's right. These flowers have a three-dimensional quality to them. Yeah, and so just capturing the angles and, and shooting it in different ways and the sun catching it either on the front side or the back side. I like backlit things. And, um, and, and any time you have special weather like fog or snow or, you know, in spring everything's fresh and green and, you know, really anxious for the... <laughs> for the season. So it's, uh, you just go out and capture those moments. So to capture the way it was, I think it's patience, a lot of patience. And we like bugs in the pictures. Yes, and they're the important part of the garden. Yeah. Tell me more about bugs. What are you doing? Are, were you trying to follow 18th century practices as far as pest control, or did you go ahead and allow yourself to I never had the need for pest control. I was growing 70 species of plants at a time, which meant that I was probably attracting beneficial insects. I, was, I wasn't growing a monoculture, which leads to pathology, which leads to, to disease. So when you say monoculture, you mean I've, I've planted a whole field one, of one, one type of... Right, right. And that leads to, you know, one pathogen can wipe that out. And I was growing 70 species. I had a problem here or there and I pulled, I pulled the plant because out of 70 species, pulling one species didn't result in a tragedy. So I never used any um, pesticides, never had to. Tell me more about that test garden. What were you trying to find out? Trying to find out how these plants, how well these plants germinated from seed, what they actually looked like, because a lot of these plants are on these old plant lists, and we've seen them 20, 30, 40 years ago. We haven't seen them recently, how they performed, how well we can, can now grow them in greenhouses, put them in cell packs and get them into gardens, and how long they flower, because these flowers are not modern hybrids. They don't flower for six months. So we need to know how long they do flower and whether we'll need two or three crops of the same thing for a season rather than one crop of a modern hybrid marigold, which you can't use anyway. So the purpose of the book was to find plants that we can use in the gardens. How did you know what plants would be authentic to the time period? There are about 11 
historic plant lists that are relatively well known, which gives me a very, very limited palette. But then I found two or three, four original sources of plants. And also I would just Google plant names. I was like working at it from both ends, from kind of a randomized end and this 18th century plant list end. A lot of times I'd find European herbs, European flowers, and try to find an American reference for it. And a lot of times I did. A lot of times I didn't. A lot of times we know plants were growing in 18th century England, and we're just, we're not growing over here, which is disappointing for me. I want to hear from both of you on, on this. What surprised you in this process? I think it was, um, got me up early, <laughs> you know, just to see what was going on in the garden. I, I, it, it's exciting. I, I, um, I, I love photography, and I, and I liked finding the little mysteries in the garden and um, call up Larry and say, what was that that I shot? So I've learned a lot about gardens and flowers and herbs, and <laughs> so... Um, more than I ever thought I would, and, uh, and I, I look forward to that every day. The biggest deal for me was finding out what a lot of people already know, that the birth of botany goes back to the 3rd century B.C., and a lot of colonial plants are in that Greek herbal of, three, of 300 B.C. Iris is a Greek name, and Daphne is a Greek name, um, Asphodel is a Greek name, and I just became really enamored of this tradition of colonial plants having Greek origins. The vitex, um, our blue-flowered summer shrub, is an ancient um, Greek shrub. And there's sort of a poetry in those names. So I, I see this botanic link going from the colonials back to the Renaissance, back to the ancient times. Did you have anything that emerged as a puzzle throughout the process? Was there something you thought you should be able to find? Something you thought would thrive but didn't? The greatest hurdle here in Virginia is heat. You know, what will survive the heat? And I found some plants that thrive in the heat, which were really cool. Like what? Pentapedes or um, scarlet mallow. Jefferson uses it in 1811. Has this changed the way that you garden, the way that you look at your flower beds at home? Oh, yeah. I've got some of the same flowers in my garden, too, where I can stick them in where they catch a little bit more sun than the other areas, yeah. Oh yeah, and I go into the gardening nurseries, and I and I go, no, I don't think that one, you know. And I, I so I can I can discern which ones I want in the garden and which ones I don't a little better. So I'm I'm better educated now because of the, this book. Larry, how about you? If somebody looks at this book, what do you hope that they'll um, that they'll get out of it? I think I have three hopes. One is that they can do what I did. They can come away with what I did. There's a list of seed sources in the back of the book. So I think they can do that and do it cheaply. And second of all, I think they'll learn that every plant has a story. And thirdly, um, this is another reference book. And we made a great attempt to footnote it. Every citation is accurate because I wanted people behind me to be able to look at the sources and do what I did. I don't want them to have to replicate what I did. It's not a secret. My work at the foundation is for the public good. So that's what I hope people get out of it. Are you still growing and testing? Yes, I have um, 36 plants seeded in the ground right now. Where can people see your test garden if they're going to come visit? If you um, walk out of the front entrance of the Williamsburg Inn and cross the street and you pass the Lewis house, which is a guest house on the right, and in that backyard is my, are my test plots. And we'll see you in there weeding and... Weeding, <laughs> watering, thinning... <laughs> Seeding, and if you get up, grass, yeah, and if you get up early enough, you might see me laying in the <laughs> in the dirt <laughs> or in the grass areas, shooting into the flowers. Yeah, we'll be there. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. We like hearing from you. 
Send us a comment at history.org slash podcasts. Check back often. We'll post more for you to download and hear.